Go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy to get 20% off your first month of cognitive behavioral therapy with weekly sessions online with a therapist in addition to worksheets, a journal, meditation and yoga videos and unlimited messaging. There's strong evidence that CBT can help people who hoard and accessing therapy online can be affordable and accessible. Find out more and get your discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder podcast. I am drowning in stuff and trying to find a way out. Listen as I explore the issues and delve deep as somebody profoundly affected by hoarding disorder. Find out more, including links to subscribe to the podcast and all my social media at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Finally, I am not a doctor. I'm just a hoarder doing her best. So do seek professional support if and when you need it. So I'm going to start with a review I got, and that is a five-star review from Lou on Apple US Podcasts. And Lou said, Superbly comforting and inspirational. First of all, your soothing voice hooked me. You are like a philosophical dove, and the way you speak matches your gentle insights. Second, the honest premise is quite moving. I think a lot of us who are on the spectrum of hoarding tire of decluttering experts. We want someone who knows the struggle. The fact that you are currently in the process of managing your excess makes you all that more relatable and authentic. Cheers to this effort. I am ever impressed with the amount of mental organisation it takes anyone to put together a podcast. Please, please keep up the good work. The world of compulsive hoarding is kinder and more hopeful with you in it. Also, know that you have a fan and supporter all the way over in Alaska. Pura, be as you are. Lou, that is beautiful. Thank you. I feel like I need to call myself a philosophical dove on every social media platform for a while. It's, it helps me so much when, when I get feedback like this, it encourages me. It gives me that nudge to keep making these keep recording these. You're right that the amount of mental organization it takes to put together a podcast is is quite a lot. And it is. It's um it's more than a lot of people realise, but I'm enjoying it and it helps me so much when I find out that other people are also enjoying it and finding it useful. So I want to start with a big hello to listeners in the Bahamas, where this podcast was apparently the number eleven 
in the Apple podcast charts for the mental health category. So hi, Bahamas. I didn't appreciate you until now, but you're wonderful. Thank you. Random, but true. So I'm going to go from there to my occasional series where I talk about my success of the week and my weird dilemma of the week. My success of the week exists to encourage me, to remind me that I'm not necessarily doing terribly, to remind you, to encourage you that we can do this, that every success contributes to a better home and a better situation. And the weird dilemma of the week serves to highlight just how bizarre the thinking in this weird disorder can be. So, success of the week. It's been the success of a few, the last few weeks, actually. I've been doing loads of tidying and sorting in my kitchen. But what makes it a success, what makes it notable, is that that's a room I have ignored forever. And you may remember from a few episodes ago that I had to let the gas man in and that involved clearing some of the kitchen so that he could get to the boiler. And I did that under a great deal of anxiety and stress and quite resentfully. What's interesting and what makes the further progress a success is that I've been doing it just because I got the urge. I've not been doing it because it's being imposed on me. I've not been doing it because somebody's going to check. I've just every other day thought, you know, I'm just going to spend 20 minutes in the kitchen making progress. And it's not that I've not been making progress in general, but that's a room that I've pretty much ignored. And so the success is that I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to make it happen. And since I, since I've got a system which I've talked about in previous episodes only recently, but for kind of sorting out food in there. Now I feel like I know what I'm doing in that respect. It's so much more appealing to try and make things happen in there. So that is my success of the week. My weird dilemma of the week. This relates to something, I don't know how widespread this is amongst hoarders, just like uh, all of us have trouble getting rid of things, I also have trouble sometimes using things for the same reason, because once I've used it, it will be gone. So I would buy, say, craft supplies or posh soap and fully intending to use it, fully intending, looking forward to using it. And then I would think, yeah, but if I use it, I won't have it anymore. And then it sits gathering dust. So that's the context. The weird dilemma was that I spilt some tea, spilt some tea down my top. And there was a paper towel right next to me that clearly I needed to use to clear up the spillage. But I had a momentary panic that if I used the paper towel to wipe up the tea, I wouldn't have it if I needed it in the future. 
what if I spill my tea again tomorrow and then I won't have a paper towel? I think part of the problem was that it was quite a nice paper towel. It was quite kind of thick and good quality. Seemed wasteful to use it on a cup of tea. But thankfully, I got over it quite quickly because I was covered in tea. And so I used the paper towel and was a bit less soaked. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about some de-hoarding facts, thoughts, ideas that just are not discussed enough. When I read about hoarding, when I research it, there's some stuff that I don't see covered as much as they perhaps should because they're useful ideas or they're helpful. So I'm going to break it down into six parts and we'll go from there. So number one is asking yourself when you are faced with a room and you have to do some decluttering, the benefits of asking yourself, what do I want to keep as opposed to what do I want to get rid of? Because it sounds like a small shift, but actually asking yourself what you want to keep, you might look at a pile and your immediate answer would be, okay, those four or five things. Asking yourself what you want to get rid of is harder because there's probably nothing you want to get rid of because you hoard, because that is part of the nature of the disorder. And naming something, yes, I want to get rid of that t-shirt, feels difficult. It feels almost disrespectful to the item. It feels like you're committing to something you're not sure of. Whereas which of those t-shirts do you want to keep? I want to keep the pink one, the blue one, and the purple one. There's some honesty and truth in that immediate initial answer that we can then quickly cancel out with, oh, and I also, I do want to keep the green one and the blue one and the brown one. But when faced with decisions like that, if there's a lot of stuff and you just don't know what to do with it, start by asking yourself, what do I want to keep? And just listen, listen to what your brain or your heart or your soul says first. There might well be a few definites. I definitely want to keep that book and that book. And listen to what that tells you about the other things. Of course, you when you start to look at the other things, you will be challenging that, the hoarder part of your brain we'll start saying, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, about about a whole range of things. There will be, of course, a justification somewhere in there about why you need to keep every single thing. But just framing it differently puts a different perspective when you're trying to make difficult decisions. It's a different way of knowing what to ask yourself when you're de-hoarding and knowing which answers to listen to, it can really be quite a different experience to say, like if you were in a restaurant and it was a nice restaurant and things look nice and somebody said, what do you want? You might look at the menu and say, I want the mushroom risotto. Perfect. If instead that person said, what do you not want? you'd probably look at the menu and say, well, I'm not a big fan of fish, so I wouldn't want the fish. And I don't eat pork, so I wouldn't want the pork, but everything else looks pretty much fine. Now, that doesn't mean you then have to order everything on the menu. 
the initial question, the more sensible question, what do you want? Even if you struggle to decide between the risotto and the pasta, there's truth in what you want. Whereas trying to say, oh, I definitely don't want other things that look perfectly reasonable and fine, even nice, it's a different experience, isn't it? It's about making a positive choice rather than a negative choice. Give it a go. Give it a go and see how you get on, because I'd be really interested to see, to hear about people's experiences of that. The second is that de-hoarding is not a punishment. This is a tricky one. I may end up doing a whole episode on this, I don't know. But I suspect a lot of you listening were like me, a messy child, probably not a clinically diagnosable hoarder child, but certainly messy, certainly struggling to get on top of things, certainly struggling to throw things away or donate things or understand how to organise things. And so a lot of associations that I grew up with around tidying up are all about being shouted at and being punished and being in trouble. I was always in trouble because my room was always a mess. And try as I might, I could not understand how tidying and organising was meant to work. And I could not understand how people could get rid of things. So if tidying up came up, it was always that I did it after being yelled at. And I did it in a state of confusion and anxiety. And so then when I left home, I felt a bit like not tidying up was a fun rebellion. I wasn't living under my parents' roof anymore. I could do what I wanted. I could stay out all night. I could skip classes. I could do all of these things I associated with freedom and not tidying up was one of them. So again, when I did have to tidy up, say, if I was moving house or say, if people were visiting, it would again be done in a state of panic and last minute anxiety and confusion because I still didn't know how to do it. And so I don't think I've ever really shaken off the idea that not tidying up is fun and tidying up is a punishing chore that I should avoid at all costs. I know when I've met people who say, I was a bit bored, so I just tidied up for half an hour, or my room is annoying me, so I spent yesterday sorting it all out. And they've just said it neutrally. I've never quite understood that. And it was recently when I got a delivery and it came in a box, as these things tend to do. And I've, in a bid to try and keep some modicum of control. I have a rule now that when deliveries arrive, I have to deal with them there and then. I can't leave an unopened box. I can't not unpack something. And I have to break the box down and either get it in the bin or get it ready to go in the bin. And a few weeks ago, I got a delivery and it arrived and I was really tired. It had arrived quite late and I just wanted to, I just wanted to leave it till the next day. But I thought, no, come on, this is your rule. You've got to unpack it now and sort the, 
box out. And then I found myself saying something like, that'll teach you to do online shopping. And I realized that while the rule is a good one, it is important that if I do online shopping, I deal with both the shopping and the box straight away. In part, I was treating it as a kind of punishment association for myself. If you're going to shop, then you're going to have to deal with the aftermath. That will teach you. If you shop, you've got to do the rubbish task of dealing with it afterwards. And I hadn't seen in myself that association between tidying up, sorting, organising, whatever, as a punishment quite so clearly, or not for a while at least. I thought I was getting past that and treating it more as a project, treating it more as something that's important to do and that will lead me to a better life rather than something I have to or should resent and hate at all costs and only do when forced and then feel good when I don't have to do it. I have been working on that and I thought I was getting there, but this one moment of deal with the box now, that'll teach you, showed me that I've not maybe made as much progress as I thought I had. Because, I mean, it sounds obvious, but if we think that tidying up, that cleaning, that throwing things away, that organising things is a punishment, is an awful, awful thing to have to do, of course we will resist it and of course we will hate it. Of course we will. How could we do anything else? If we can remind and reassure ourselves that tidying and cleaning and organising is a number of things. It is just part of adult life. It is part of living. It is part of having a home you are safe in. It's part of having a home you're comfortable in. It's part of having a home that other people can pop round to. It can be self-care. But even if it's not self-care, I'm never going to be one of those people who tidies up to relax. I can't see that in my future. But even if it's not self-care, if we can see it as something neutral, like just part of life, just like we drink water and we eat food and we wash and we clean and tidy our surroundings, we're going to be in a better place for tackling this immense task we've got in front of us. If I'm still thinking of six-year-old me or 16-year-old me who was always dreading hearing footsteps on the stairs because that meant somebody might come into my bedroom, which might, which would mean I would be in trouble because it would always be in a mess. If I'm still having that association, of course, I'm not making progress. Reminding yourself of why you want to dehoard can be really helpful for this point because it may be that you're doing it under duress. It may be that you're going to lose your children or that your partner won't be discharged from hospital until there is room for them to move around or that you're going to be evicted if you don't 
clean your home. That's definitely harder. That's definitely trickier for this particular task. In other ways, it gives you a strong motivation that might well keep you going when, when not having that pressure would mean you would ease off. But if you're not doing it under duress like that, think about why you are doing it. Think about how you want your home to be and think of de-hoarding, which means everything from sorting to putting things in bags to donating to throwing things away to putting things in the recycling to organizing what's left cleaning all of that is encompassed under dehoarding if you know why you're dehoarding then embarking on doing it is a means to an end it's not got judgment weighted on it it's morally neutral It is something you're doing because it needs to be done to get to where you want to be. It's worth looking in your mind about whether you associate cleaning and tidying with punishment. And if so, is that part of why you resist it? I'm not saying in any way that my parents shouting at me for having a messy room is responsible for the state I'm in now. There are a million factors that contributed to that. But that aspect of it took a long time to shake off. It took a long time to shake off the idea that not tidying, not cleaning, not organising was great, was was me being autonomous. It was me expressing my preferences. This is me, independent adult. I can do what I like. That's not a great attitude to not shake off. Maybe you leave home and you spend a few months drinking more than you should, smoking more than you should, sleeping around, whatever. That's normal, I suspect. But if you're still doing that 20 years later, because it still feels like rebelling against your parents, there's something that hasn't shifted. And in the same way, If you left home 20 years ago and you still feel like not tidying up is giving shouty parents the finger, then that's something that's stuck and it needs to get unstuck. The fact that we need to de-hoard is the consequence of years of hoarding. But the fact that we need to de-hoard is not a punishment for years of hoarding. It's just a consequence. It's neutral and it's not cool and expressive to never look after your surroundings. Point number three, this is scary. Different bits of it are scary for different people. What's scary to me may not be scary to you and vice versa. But we need to be brave. The thing is, something can be scary and we can do it anyway. Years ago, I did something I'd been really scared of. And a friend, a really good friend, knew that I was really scared of it and knew that I was going to try and do it. And so she was the first person I went to afterwards. And I said, I did the thing. And she said, oh, she was really excited for me and said I was really brave. And I said, no, I said it wasn't brave because I was really scared when I did it. And she rightly said, no, no, no. Being brave doesn't mean you do it with no fear at all. Doing it is the brave bit. Fear 
doesn't make you less brave. So doing something while you're scared doesn't make it less brave. And in the same way, de-hoarding when you feel confused and scared and overwhelmed doesn't make what you achieve any less productive. You might get to the end of a day where you have, you've, you've had some achievements. You've got a couple of bags out of the door or you've arranged for a collection from a charity shop. But you might be thinking, but it was so stressy and horrible and confusing and overwhelming that it's not actually that impressive because it would only be impressive if I was doing it and I was fine. No, that's not the case. The fact remains that those bags are out of the door or that collection is arranged, regardless of how you felt about it. And sometimes if we can say, this is scary, this is overwhelming, this is confusing, this is difficult, but I'm doing it anyway, that's how we get things done. And it may well be that over time, it becomes less scary and confusing and overwhelming. But the fact of any achievement you make is not reduced in any way if you found it difficult emotionally. It is scary and we have to be brave. We have to be brave in things that most people have no idea are brave. It's things that most people do without thinking, without it crossing their mind that anyone would find it difficult to throw away an empty can of Pepsi or to throw away a torn envelope or to throw away the magazine they've just finished reading. And they do it with so little fear and confusion and overwhelm that we can start to feel even more weird and even more messed up. But the truth is, if it gets done, then we're doing it. We're doing it and acting as if. This is a whole thing, acting as if you are a person who doesn't hoard can mean you make the progress you need to eventually become a person who doesn't hoard. Isn't that incredible? That's not to say always override every feeling and emotion. No, that's also not healthy. But don't say to yourself that you're not making enough progress just because your thinking hasn't quite matched up with what you're doing. When I'm sorting stuff, sometimes I get to an item and I know it will be too difficult to make the decision. And that used to be where I would get stuck. I would look at this thing and stop everything else and debate it for hours and probably not come to a decision by the end of it. Over having been on this path for quite some time now, I have learnt two things. One is that overall, getting rid of things gets easier the more you practice it. And I have also learnt that some days are easier than others. And what that means now is that if I come across something and I think this is going to be a really hard decision and I know it will derail me from the process progress I'm making, I don't agonise. I put it to one side and say, I will come back to that at another point. And it may be very soon afterwards. It may be that I have a different day when I feel differently and it's an easier decision. Or it may be that I'm putting it to one side and we'll come back to it in six months, at which point the overall progress I'm making makes the overall situation of 
getting rid of things a little bit easier. Now, that doesn't mean I screwed up when I first encountered the item. It means I acknowledge that that would be a particularly difficult thing to make a decision on, and I deferred it. Now, you can't defer decisions on everything. You can't pick up thing after thing after thing and think, I will make a decision on that later. That's not how this works. That's just, they call it churning, just moving things from one bag to another to another and without making a decision on anything. I'm talking about you're sorting through a pile of boring old papers, most of which are going in the shredder, and you suddenly come across a heartfelt letter from your first girlfriend or boyfriend. That kind of thing. I'm not talking about the day-to-day. If I do several hours de-hoarding, I would expect to make that move to defer once at most, just to give you context. So this isn't an excuse (laughs) to go... Oh, well, that hoarder said you could defer because it will get easier later on. No, not with everything. I'm talking about the very, very, very super difficult things, maybe two a week, something like that. But what that means is that I'm getting the rest of the stuff done with the confidence that when I get back to that item, I might be in a different place where it's easier or where I just have more clarity. And sometimes that's keep and sometimes it's throw. Not everything has to go, but a lot of stuff does have to go. And so the point, it's scary and you have to be brave. And sometimes that makes, often that means making really hard decisions. And occasionally it means saying my progress will be much better if I defer this very specific decision so that I can carry on with the rest of the pile. But either way, what's going on in your head does not discount any physical or practical progress you make. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Point four. Months ago, a comedian I follow on Instagram called Sophie Hagen. I will link to them in the show notes. Sophie did a post on Instagram about they're in therapy and it was about something that had come up in therapy. Anyway, the therapist had said to them that our brains cannot distinguish between things that are familiar and things that are safe. So if we see something familiar, we can react as if we've seen something safe. And that's kind of mind-blowing when you think of that in terms of hoarding. Is that why living like this feels cocooned and safe? Not because it is cocooned and safe, but because it's so familiar. Is it why we look at individual items and they're so familiar that we have a good association with them? and feel safe. Our brains can't distinguish, if Sophie's therapist was correct, 
between things that are familiar and things that are safe. So when something feels safe, maybe, maybe ask yourself, is it actually safe or is it just familiar? Is it safe to have piles and piles and piles and piles of clothes that you don't have a chance of getting into the wardrobe because you haven't been able to open the wardrobe doors for six years? Is that safe or is it just familiar? Is the pair of jeans that are kind of frayed at the thighs and kind of not a great fit anymore, but we have great associations with them? Do we put them on and think, oh, I love these jeans, genuinely? Or are they just so familiar that we think we think that? But if we question it, we go, do you know, they're a bit tight and I am going to need to patch them, which I'll never get round to doing. So they'll sit in a pile in the spare room by the sewing machine I don't know how to use. Whether it's individual items or our living situation as a whole, if something feels safe, is it that it's just so familiar that we think it is? Point number five, choose your hard. Dehoarding is hard. I say that with authority as somebody who is actively trying to do it. And God, it is hard. I'm not here to pretend it's easy. If it was easy, I'd have done six episodes, how to dehaul, start to finish. And that would have been that. The fact that I'm here over a year after starting and still have such a long way to go means that dehoarding is hard. The fact that there are specialists like Dr. Jan Eppingstall, who is a regular guest, who work exclusively with people who hoard, means it is hard. That wouldn't be needed if it was easy. Dehoarding is hard. We might not know how to do it. We might not have the energy to do it. We might get overwhelmed and all of those things. It's hard. But you know what else is hard? Having crap to step over every time we want to go into a certain room or having to clear stuff out of the bath when we want to have a bath or having to empty the oven of pots and pans before we can turn it on to cook our food or having a mini heart attack every time somebody knocks on the door and we don't know who it's going to be or what they're going to want or not being able to sleep in your own bed because there's so much on it, or not being able to have your own grandkids round for tea because it's not safe or because your kids won't let that happen, or because you're ashamed. Living in a hoard is hard. Losing touch with your kids because they can't stand the fact that you brought them up in a hoard that is hard. So when I say choose your hard, this is exactly what I mean. It's all hard, <laughs> all of it. And if you choose not to dehoard, that doesn't give you an easy life. It's just hard in a different way. Dehoarding is hard, but it's a means to an end and it can get you somewhere good. Not dehoarding Sure, you're not having the stress of dehoarding, but you're having the immense stress of living, knowing that if there's a fire, firefighters might not be able to get to you. 
that's also hard. You've got a choice of hard things. Don't let yourself believe that opting out of de-hoarding leads to an easier life because it causes plenty of its own problems that get worse and worse and worse and worse over time. Obviously, you know, six months of rubbish not leaving the house is bad. Six years of rubbish not leaving the house is really bad. 60 years of rubbish not leaving the house, it clearly gets worse. So it's not like your choices are de-hoard, which is hard, or don't de-hoard, which is easy. Don't let yourself trick yourself into thinking that. You have to choose which hard you're going to go with. And sure, at the moment, I feel like I'm choosing the hard de-hoarding while also living in the hard hoarded house. It feels, it could feel like the worst of both worlds, but it doesn't because the de-hoarding, while hard, is leading to better things. It's a path that I need to be taking and I know I need to be taking it and I know why. And it makes it that little bit easier. Again, this isn't easy. (laughs) I wish it was. I wish I suddenly established the formula and actually what you need to do is A and then B and then C and then everything is fine. But until that happens, you have choices. And if you're not trying to dehorb because it's too hard, maybe do like a frank assessment of what is hard about living in a hoard and just compare the two. And number six is allow yourself to enjoy the wins even the tiny, tiny wins. It is especially difficult if your hoarding is secret, as it is for many of us, because we can't exactly go onto Facebook to share the fact that we feel a real sense of achievement because we've finally thrown away a book we were never going to reread anyway. If nobody knows you hoard and you go and announce that to your friends, people would wonder what the fuss was about. And so that one way of celebrating our successes isn't as open to us as it might be if your success, like when I stopped smoking, I didn't make that public for a few weeks, but then once I felt like I was maybe going to do it, I then did go on Facebook and say, haven't had a cigarette for two weeks or whatever it was. And I got so much support and really encouraging and helpful messages. I can't go onto Facebook and say, oh my God, I threw out three bags of stuff. People would just think, why are you telling Facebook that? Like what? I don't, I don't care because they don't know the story. And even if they did know the story, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. Maybe they would. Maybe I'm not giving people enough credit. But it's harder to celebrate wins, is what I'm saying. And especially wins that recognise that often it's the tiny, tiny things that need to be celebrated. In an episode with Jan, which I will link to in the show notes, but it was about creating tiny habits. She talked about research that shows that one of the key ways to get a habit to really bed in is to celebrate it. Now, that doesn't have to mean you can't go out for a meal or buy yourself a bottle of champagne every time you throw away some food packaging. Instead, it's tiny little things. 
and she talked about how one of, I think it was one of her clients, had bought herself like a button you could press that would have cheering and celebration. And I said in the episode that I bet there are apps on your phone that will do that. And sure enough, I found one. Now, it's got like a whole array of buttons you can press for different sound effects. And they are mostly positive ones. And there are some like boos and hisses as well. So let me find it. Here we are. So for instance, if I have just thrown away something I've been debating for ages, I can press. Or I can press. Or I can press. And it's silly, right? It's, it's daft, but it kind of does help. And I know that sounds strange. I know, but I've been doing it a bit, partly, well, in good part, because of what Jan said about it being a key way of making a habit stick. It's one of several things that a habit has to have. Again, go and listen to that episode. I think it was 46, but I, I will link to it at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Or it might be, I mean, it might be anything. You know best how you succeed. It might be like giving yourself a thumbs up. It might be cheering yourself. Who needs an app when you can do your own cheering? Might be doing a happy dance. But that's a realistic and easy and yet effective way to celebrate even the tiniest of wins. Even if it's just that you've been trying to leave the house for hours and hours and hours and you can't get out of your chair and you finally stand up, that deserves a cheer sometimes. So allow yourself to enjoy even the tiny wins, even if you can't share them with your usual circle. So those are six things that felt important to cover because I think they are important kind of bones in the overall skeleton of trying to sort this thing out, which is, it needs a myriad of approaches, let's face it. And there's no one single straightforward answer. It's all about having a toolbox with lots and lots of tools in and picking the ones you need at any given time and having the ability to learn which you need at different times. And the only way we learn that is by trying things and seeing what succeeds and what fails and not starting to believe that if something fails, then we have failed. They are very different things. If something doesn't work, then that thing doesn't work. It doesn't mean that you are therefore incapable. It means that particular thing wasn't right for you. And so these six things, which I will go through again, what do I want to keep versus what do I want to get rid of? The fact that de-hoarding is not a punishment. The fact that it is scary, but progress is still progress. The fact that our brains can't distinguish between things that are familiar and things that are safe. Choosing your hard and allowing yourself to enjoy the wins. They are, they can all go in your little toolbox. Or maybe you have a tool belt that goes around your waist. So you've got it with you at all times. And when you come across an obstacle, you can look into that tool belt and go, which of these tools 
is the right tool for this particular obstacle. It all helps. It all helps us to keep moving forward. I've been thinking about how many of us have to keep our hoarding secret. I will get to the top tip of the week in a sec, but just for a moment, let's talk secrets. I certainly keep my hoarding secret, and I've been wondering about the effect that these secrets and this shame have on us and our mental health. I'm thinking of doing an episode about the secrets we keep about our hoarding. And if you feel comfortable, I want to hear your hoarding secrets. I've created a form where you can submit your secrets anonymously. I will not know who sends what. If you want to tell me your secret for a potential future episode, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash secret. That's overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash secret. Now back to your top tip. So this week's top tip is a few seconds from a really interesting podcast called Maximized Minimalist. This is a tip from her about how to reduce online shopping. Delete your credit card information from the apps you buy from. Makes a huge difference. Any type of friction that we can add to something, if we're trying to break a habit, I promise you will prevent you from buying a lot more stuff. If you have to get up off the couch and go get your credit card out of your purse, you are much more likely to not do that. That's the whole point of Amazon and these apps allowing you to save your credit card is so you end up buying a heck of a lot more because you don't have to manually enter it. You don't have to go get up and look for it. And next thing you know, when you're up, the kids need you or they're hungry and you get distracted and then you don't end up buying things, right? This is all by design from these companies. So delete your credit card information from all the shopping apps. I promise you that immediately will prevent you from buying a lot. So I will link to the Maximized Minimalist podcast in the show notes. I struggle with some of the kind of overall minimalism ideas, but that podcast isn't, I don't find, I don't find it preachy in the way that some minimalism advocates can appear to be. Okay, so thank you for listening and I will speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding podcast. You can find more online at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at That Hoarder and on Facebook at Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder. To find out more about how you can support this podcast and the overall project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk forward slash support and do subscribe to this podcast so you make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Getting professional support as a hoarder can make all the difference. Having somebody on your side who can help you to learn about yourself and make progress in your home is invaluable, but finding an affordable therapist can be a nightmare. Accessing therapy online gives you the option to find the right person who doesn't even have to be in the same country as you, never mind the same town or city. 
OnlineTherapy.com offers a weekly live session with a CBT therapist for individuals or couples. It offers unlimited messaging, worksheets, a journal, and even yoga and meditation videos to help you cope. I have a special link for you that will get you a discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. As you know, I've had CBT, and two years later, I still use the realizations I had about myself, as well as the skills I learned. Listeners tell me that you've started to use some of the skills I've shared on this podcast. CBT is a therapy with a broad evidence base that is widely used for a range of mental health difficulties, including hoarding. OnlineTherapy.com specializes in CBT, and if you're not happy with your therapist, you can change to a new one with the click of a button. And prices start at $40 a week, which, if you've seen a therapist before, you'll know is incredibly cost-effective. What's more, if you use my link, you can get a whopping 20% off your first month. So sign up at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy and get 20% off your first month with your new online CBT therapist.